Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services partner for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 230 multinationals by providing them with advisory support, information assets, and consulting services that help inform and power their growth strategies in high-stakes markets. My name is Adam Jarzik, and I'm the Director of Research for Asia-Pacific at Frontier Strategy Group. I'm joined today by Joseph Yelenek, our lead analyst for Northeast Asia. Today we'll discuss China's Belt and Road Initiative and its implications for multinationals. As a reminder, this research and all of our insights are available to FSG clients via our Frontier View platform. You can also subscribe to Frontier Strategy Group's podcast channel on iTunes and Stitcher to download our latest episode. Joseph, welcome. Let's first start by defining what we're discussing today. What is the Belt and Road Initiative, and is it the same as One Belt, One Road, or OBOR? Hi, Adam. So, broadly speaking, the Belt and Road Initiative, whose acronym is BRI, is a Chinese infrastructure financing initiative for a large part of the global economy that will also serve key economic, foreign policy, and security objectives for China. The BRI has two main prongs. The Silk Road Economic Belt, the Belt, and the 21st Century Maritime Silk Road, the Road. Rather confusingly, the road is not actually a road, but rather a sea route linking China's southern coast to East Africa and the Mediterranean. And the belt is a series of overland corridors connecting China with Europe via Central Asia and the Middle East. BRI and Obor are the same. Officials wanted to rebrand the name for something that is distinctly plural. There are three overland routes and two maritime routes, if you include the newly proposed Arctic route, which extend between China and Europe. They also wanted a name that would be seen as a win-win, stressing the openness of the strategy while avoiding criticisms over China-centred institution building. They decided that the Belt and Road Initiative was an improvement. Sounds like the leadership has put quite a bit of thought into this. Um, Why has China embarked on the initiative? Well, China has both internal and and external motivations for embarking on this initiative. Internally, it is a development plan to take China's economy to the next level. It will help China increase its exports, offloading some of its excess industrial capacity, and restructure its economy. As Chinese enterprises operating outside China are subjected to more competition and acquire more foreign know-how, it will help China to move up the value chain. Externally, it's a foreign policy, which is part of an overarching initiative to make China great again. It's about China's quest to become a global power, that actively shapes the international order. The BRI has become China's main instrument to achieve this. Certainly when it comes to foreign policy, it's important to identify the countries that are going to be most impacted. Um, I understand there's a bit of confusion on this front. So could you share a little bit about which countries are involved in BRI to date? Yeah, well, First of all, it's important to point out that the BRI has been plagued by misconceptions ever since its unveiling in 2013. And this has not been helped by the fact that the Chinese government appears to be purposefully keeping the details of the BRI vague and broadly defined. One misconception is that the BRI is an infrastructure project focused on building railways, highways, pipelines or ports, when in reality it is expanded into every conceivable field infrastructure, finance, culture, education, people-to-people relations, and political relations between states. 
A second misconception is that the initiative is just about connecting China and Europe via two routes. For starters, as I mentioned earlier, there are more than just two routes. But more importantly, when looking at the number of countries involved, we also run into what I mentioned earlier about the details being kept vague. Official documents and platforms identify 65 countries, including China, that are participating in the initiative. But there are at least 48 more countries that are likely to become active participants, including those in Latin America. So, in reality, the BRI aims to wrap the entire world, not only Eurasia and Africa. Sounds like it could turn into a very expensive endeavor. Um, How is the BRI funded? Well, the BRI is predominantly debt financed. Beijing has taken on the lead financing role, but with ownership of the financial risk placed on the recipients of the investment. There are typically three main sources of financing for BRI infrastructure. The first, as I mentioned, is the Chinese government, mainly policy-driven state funding. The second is host government. And the third is private institutions. Now, multilateral banks such as the World Bank, the Asian Development Bank, and the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank do contribute some funds to BRI projects, among other mandates. It's important to point out that China is unlikely to fund the BRI entirely. China has said that it plans to spend, or would be happy to spend, around $4 trillion over the lifetime of the initiative, pumping $150 billion into projects each year. But despite China's significant investments, the current available funding is a fraction of the climate-adjusted $1.7 trillion a year in infrastructure investment that Asian Development Bank has said that developing Asia alone will need to invest between now and 2030 if it is to maintain its growth momentum. Well, regardless of how much money Asia needs, uh, indeed the, the developing world needs, it still seems to be a lot of money out there. And um, certainly companies have asked us how they can tap into that funding. So I'd like to turn that question to you. How can Western companies tap into BRI funding? Can they do that in the markets where the projects are happening or uh, do they have to go via China? Mm, That is actually quite a difficult question to answer given the opaque nature of the BRI and how BRI projects are funded. What I would say though is that there are two ways for Western companies to get involved in BRI projects, directly or indirectly. So first of all, turning our attention to directly, Uh, it will likely be quite difficult for companies to take this road. Projects are often not even announced until it's far too late for MNCs to tender for them. And if the project is Chinese funded, then the likelihood is that it's going to go to Chinese companies. It's been found that around 89% of contractors participating in Chinese funded projects are Chinese companies, and only 3.4% are foreign. In comparison, only 29% of contractors participating in projects funded by multilateral development banks are Chinese, and 30.2% are foreign. Another way of getting involved is indirectly, and this is probably the best way for Western companies to get involved in the BRI. That is, for Western companies to partner as a subcontractor to a Chinese main contractor. Chinese state-owned enterprises just don't have that same familiarity with the infrastructure, geophysical landscapes, regulations, and social and cultural norms that MNCs do, and certainly could benefit from their experience and expertise. Okay, so let's say you're talking to an executive at a company that is actually able to get involved uh, directly or indirectly in uh, some of these BRI projects. Uh, 
Um, certainly, you can imagine what the upside would be. But are there any risks that you would point to, uh, you'd highlight for those executives? Yes, there are a number of risks involved, which companies need to consider. So one of the requisites for getting involved in BRI projects is often the requirement for the formation of a joint venture with a Chinese partner. This, in turn, greatly increases the risk of intellectual property theft. Another substantial risk to consider is the withdrawal of funding resulting in non-payment. A number of circumstances could result in this outcome, such as China tightening up its capital controls, as it has done recently, or pressing strategic priorities for China diverting funding elsewhere, and bureaucratic delays in host countries, leading to Chinese policy banks withholding funding until issues are resolved. Other risks are such things as geopolitical risks, um, which is another concern, especially in geographies such as Pakistan, where the Chinese government sees projects more from a strategic rather than an ROI perspective. And as well, uh, backlash against controversial projects, which could lead to project cancellation or reputational damage. So, for example, in Thailand's Chiang Rai, activists successfully lobbied a state power utility to suspend its decision to purchase electricity from the Pakbung Hydropower Dam, proposed by China's Datong Corporation on the Lao side of the Mekong River. Villagers feared its impact. So um, let's turn now to, to multinationals who are either not able or not interested in getting involved in BRI projects. Um, are there implications for them? Are there opportunities or risks? And how do these vary across geographies? Well, the BRI is going to have global ramifications for years to come. No country or sector is off limits. What we'll see will be spillovers, both positive and negative, that have the potential to affect all OMNCs operating in or exposed to BRI countries. So, starting with positive spillovers, MNCs will be able to leverage the improved connectivity as well as the increased investment in digital infrastructure across BRI countries and regions enabling them, for example, to reduce distribution costs and optimize their digital strategies more effectively. Improved infrastructure will also support household incomes, leading to increased consumption. And sectors that benefit from improved infrastructure, such as manufacturing, will grow more quickly, leading to opportunities there. Now, looking at negative spillovers, uh, the BRI, BRI introduces significant Chinese competition for firms operating in BRI countries, even if they are not directly involved in BRI projects. This will increase the likelihood of displacing foreign MNCs across their markets. Another consideration uh, would be that in some countries, overly high levels of government debt will impede public spending in areas such as healthcare, education, welfare, housing, transport and agriculture, and set back economic growth more generally in affected markets. Um, In terms of variation across geographies, yes, that will depend on a number of variables. So, for example, the extent of Chinese investment and receptivity from the host country towards it, uh, the size of the overall market and its attractiveness to Chinese competitors, or the proportion of Chinese investment inflows uh, to the size of the host economy, as well as the host market's vulnerability to external and internal shocks. Let's dig into that a little bit more, uh, turning from the company perspective to the country perspective. As a global initiative, uh, will the magnitude of impact uh, across countries and the receptivity of those countries uh, towards the BRI 
be equally distributed across all geographies, or will there be some variation? Well, there is going to be variation across geographies. So from China's perspective, there are countries that are of greater or lesser strategic importance that will, to an extent, determine where it focuses funding. So for example, Pakistan will be high up on China's priorities, given that it provides China with access to the Indian Ocean, helps to develop its own restive western region, and serves as a bulwark to contain India, China's strategic rival. Bangladesh, on the other hand, will be less of a priority, being not as strategically important to China. There's also going to be variation among recipient countries' receptivity towards Chinese investment. So, on one end of the spectrum, you'll have countries like India, which is hostile, concerned that the BRI is a ruse by China to increase influence in the Indian Ocean and contain it. And then at the other end of the uh, spectrum, you have countries um, such as Hungary, um, where... uh, Reliance on EU funding and political disagreements between regional governments in the EU mean that these countries see China as an alternative source of investment and will be strong supporters of the initiative. Interesting. So certainly um, there are going to be a variety of countries that welcome this money, that that welcome Chinese interest and investment. We'd like to talk just briefly uh, about the other side of that. Has there been any pushback against BRI? And critically, how effective do you think that pushback might be in stopping the initiative? Yes, very good questions. Well, firstly, uh, yes, there has been pushback. Um, There are concerns that the BRI undermines national sovereignty. This has been called China's debt trap diplomacy whereby countries have become indebted to Beijing and some might say have ended up subordinating themselves and their sovereignty to help China achieve its economic and strategic objectives. So cash-strapped countries such as Sri Lanka, Djibouti and Pakistan have all granted China long-term leases on their ports. Sustainability of BRI projects uh, has also been called into question. There's been pushback from local populations concerned about projects, economic and uh, environmental impacts. Um, I mentioned the Thai hydropower uh, dam project, but there has been pushback against other projects as well. Um, Interestingly, the EU has twice failed to endorse the BRI. Representatives said that they wanted guarantees that projects would be economically, socially and environmentally sustainable and subject to transparency and fair tendering processes. And they didn't get those. Now, in terms of whether I think this pushback will stop the initiative, well, no. I think in the grand scheme of things, these are just minor irritants. Um, Xi Jinping needs the initiative. Uh, he's, his legacy rests to some extent on its success. Um, it's, it's his signature foreign policy. He's invested a lot into it. China needs the initiative. It is an answer, an answer of sorts to China's economic problems. And just looking at Asia, uh, but you could also extend this to all developing countries, um, they need the initiative too, uh, because it will partially help to overcome Asia's significant infrastructure gap. That makes a lot of sense. Um, So why don't we close then on a question about the future, since we believe the BRI will continue into the future. Uh, How do you expect the project to evolve over the next several years in terms of priorities Uh, execution and scale? Yes, also very good questions. So 
Um, what I would say uh, as a generalization is that we're going to see an increase in tensions between Beijing's vision of a pluralist international order and perhaps I, I should say what was uh, the US-led liberal order. And this in turn is going to be reflective of the general increase in economic and power rivalry between the two countries. In terms of execution and scale, barring China's economic collapse or serious confrontation from abroad, I would say that as Xi Jinping further consolidates his power and builds the institutions that help him implement his policy more effectively, you'll see this mirrored in the more effective execution of the BRI. And in terms of scale, it's only going to increase. Every engagement that China has now with the outside world is going to be labelled as BRI. The more global the initiative, the more it helps to label China as a global power. Well, thank you for sharing your insights today, Joseph. I want to remind listeners that FSG clients can speak with Joseph or any of our global analysts at any time by simply reaching out to your client relationship director. You can also rate and subscribe to FSG's channel on iTunes or Stitcher to receive immediate access to our newest podcast episodes. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at info at frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes today's podcast. Thank you for joining us.